0: Our scripture lesson for this morning comes, first of all, from Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. But before I read that um, uh, text for our consideration this morning, I'd like to begin with an illustration that introduces the theme for today. Last year, ESPN produced a 10-part document series chronicling the life and career of the legendary basketball player, um, Michael Jordan, and the the, uh, tremendous success that that team enjoyed during the 1990s. It narrates the history of one of the greatest basketball heroes and the most successful teams in sports history as that team during the 1997 to 1998 season was trying to secure their sixth NBA championship in eight years. They called it The Last Dance. Michael Jordan has all kinds of awards that were given to him through the years. He had six NBA titles. Ten scoring titles, five most valuable player awards, 14 all-star appearances, and numerous last-second shots that clinched the victory for the Chicago Bulls. Michael Jordan is now 58 years old, and his life off the court has not come close to the experiences that he had while he was on the basketball court. In fact, he said recently, that he would give up everything if he could only get back to playing the game of basketball all over again. Michael Jordan had that insatiable drive to be a success on the court, and that intensity is still there, but he hasn't found significance, security, and satisfaction in his life. Jordan had that code name given to him by the private security team, that supervised him for his safety. They called him Yahweh, the Old Testament name for the Great I Am. Jordan is used to being the most important person in any room that he enters. In fact, you could take a step further and say that he was often considered the most important person in the lives of everyone he met. People catered to his every whim, They did whatever they thought would be pleasing to him. His self-esteem, as he said in his acceptance speech when he was awarded the Hall of Fame in basketball in 2009, has always been related directly to the game of basketball. It is to the game of basketball that I've always gone, he said, to find my comfort and my peace. So here's the question that I want to reflect on with you this morning. Where do you go to find comfort and peace and security in your life? Are you trying to find peace through another person, through your possessions? Are you looking for peace through the pleasures that you seek to enjoy as you make your journey through life? Are you seeking to find your worth and satisfaction in the work that has been entrusted to you? Have you ever noticed how often people respond to the question, how are you, by saying, I'm busy? I'm terribly busy. It seems like I'm going a hundred different directions at the same time. It's almost like we need to validate our lives by letting people know how busy we are. Today we're going to look at two verses that are found in Psalm 127. Notice the preface to this psalm. It says, a song of ascents. Since Jerusalem was located on a very high hill, whenever one traveled to the city of Jerusalem, they would have to ascend. They would have to go up to that hill on which Jerusalem was located. There are 15 songs of ascent that are found in the Bible. You can find them in Psalm 120 through 134. And these were songs that the worshipers on their way to Jerusalem would sing as they traveled up to Jerusalem to attend some of the major festivals and feasts that the people enjoyed in that special city. Jewish priests were often known as well to sing some of those psalms of ascent as they climb the stairs to the temple, singing a different psalm on each one of those stairs. In a more general sense, this section of the psalms helps us to go up, or to ascend, or to grow in our faith in God. The next phrase here tells us about the human author of this psalm. It says, of Solomon. While David wrote almost half of the psalms, there were some other psalm writers as well. And Solomon wrote a couple of psalms. According to First Kings 4, verse 32, Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. This particular psalm reads like a proverb in the sense that each of these opening phrases stands as a memorable maxim. Solomon was a tremendous writer, and several of his psalms made their way into the Holy Scriptures. Notice verses 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, The guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Notice, first of all, that the word unless is used twice. This is a word of condition, similar in meaning to the word except. In fact, that's the way the King James Version translated this verse. Except the Lord builds the house. It's a very emphatic term. Secondly, we see three words that are used here that are related to the word work. Build, labor, and toil. And third, notice that the word vain is used three times. This can be translated as emptiness, vanity, uselessness, worthless, or without result. And you could summarize these two verses by saying this, unless our labor is for the Lord, our lives are empty. There are three key human needs that are addressed in these verses, significance, security, and satisfaction. Satisfaction. Let's look at significance first of all. Seeing our work as a calling provides significance to our lives. Look at the list that is given, at the the first part of of verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, if we want our contributions to count, if we want our lives to leave a legacy behind us, we need to make sure that we are building for the Lord, that our labor is for the Lord. Unfortunately, too many of us are seeking significance apart from the Lord, and as a consequence of that, those who build labor in vain. Have you ever seen that bumper sticker that says, Work fascinates me. I can sit and look at it for hours. Here's another one that some of you may agree with. The worst day of fishing is better than the best day of working. And here's another one. Hard work may not kill me, but why take a chance? Our culture has some confusion about work. On the one hand, we have the workaholics. And on the other hand, we have the work workaholics. And in the middle, The majority of people today follow that other bumper sticker that says, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. While some people may love their jobs, other people can't stand what they have to do in order to make a living. And for others, their career has become a kind of altar on which they've sacrificed their lives. Work can very easily become a new religion for us where we bow down and give all of our time and effort and energy. Someone once said that we worship our work, and we work at our play, and we play at our worship. Solomon kept a diary that can be found in the Bible. It's called the Book of Ecclesiastes, and he came to understand that our jobs are never designed to meet our deepest needs. Listen to what he wrote in Ecclesiastes 1 and 2. What do people gain for all of their labors at which they toil under the sun? I undertook great projects. I built houses and I planted vineyards. Yet when I surveyed everything that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything seemed to be meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. While you may get tired of your job or even be tired as you work your job, the Bible tells us that work has intrinsic value and importance for at least two reasons. The first reason is this God is a worker. Think about how the Bible starts. Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning God made the heavens and the earth. And Genesis 2 verse 2 tells us that that was work. Genesis 2 verse 2 says, by the seventh day God had finished the work that he was doing. And so on the seventh day he rested from all of his work. And he didn't stop working after that. In John 5, verse 17, Jesus declared, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. The second reason why work has intrinsic value is that we are God's co-workers. Not only is God a worker, but we are workers as well. Genesis 1, 26 says that man is to rule over the creation. And Genesis 2 verse 5 states that Adam was placed in the garden to tend it and to take care of it, to work the garden for God. Notice that that, that this work was given to Adam prior to the curse that was placed on creation because of Adam and Eve's fall into sin. God planted the garden and man cultivated it For God, they were co-workers. They worked together. This was a partnership that was intended to continue and should continue to this very day. God gives things to us, and we manage them for him to his praise and glory. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9, For we are co-workers in God's service. Check this out. The Hebrew word for work is often translated as worship and service. God has intended that our work and our worship and our giving should be a seamless way in which we live our lives from day to day. Adam worshipped God by doing the work that he was given to do. And when we labor out of love for God, we put on display the genius of God who created each one of us Uniquely and individually in order to reflect his beauty. When we work in concert with him, in accordance with our gifts and our abilities, God is glorified and we are fulfilled. Because that's precisely what he made us to do. Colossians 3 verse 17 says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Tragically, with the entrance of sin into this world, Adam and Eve distorted that partnership that they had with God before the fall. They became self-centered, with a desire to take rather than give, with a desire to dominate rather than serve, with a desire to hate instead of love in addition because of the fall in genesis 3:17 god says that work would now involve painful toil verse 18 of the third chapter of genesis declares that work will no longer be completely efficient because the ground will now produce thorns and thistles And so the challenge for us is to recognize that even though work may often be hard and challenging and difficult, we are designed to work in tandem with God for his praise and glory, and not just for ourselves. When people tried to work apart from God, as they did when they tried to build the Tower of Babel, you know what happened? God scattered them over the face of the earth. Our culture holds up work as a way for us to find fulfillment. There's a story told about three workmen who were digging a foundation. When the first workman was asked what he was doing, he said, I'm earning money so that I can feed my family and take care of their needs. The second workman said, I'm earning money so that I can go out and party over the weekend. Only the third workman had an appropriate answer that reflected the purpose of work in the life of us as Christians. I'm building a cathedral for the glory of God. Do you see your job as an avenue to promote the purposes of God in your life and in the lives of people around us? Unless our labor is for the Lord, our lives will be empty. But when we work with him, allowing the Lord to do his work through us, only then can we find significance. And that brings us to the second human need that we find addressed in these verses. Seeing work as a calling provides security. Security has always been a difficult issue for the people of Israel and still is today. Surrounded by enemies who would like to wipe Israel off the face of the map, Israelis today still live on high alert. In ancient times, walls surrounded the ancient cities, and on those walls from time to time, you would see large pillars standing up above the rest of the wall where watchmen would be on guard 24 hours a day. We live in an increasingly insecure society, don't we? Just think of the city of Chicago as we listen to the news each night. During the first half of this year, 2021, there have been 336 homicides in the city of Chicago. This summer, a 29-year-old female police officer, Ella Finch, was killed and another police officer was seriously wounded in carrying out their duties in a normal, routine traffic violation stop. And now that Afghanistan has been taken over by the Taliban, there is renewed concern that, that something similar to September 11 could happen all over again. In addition, there are many people in our country and around the world who are suffering the loss of health and even their lives due to COVID-19. And many people have lost relatives and friends because of this plague that has swept over the United States and throughout the rest of the world. In addition to that, hurricanes, a recent one, for example, was Hurricane uh, Ida that caused intensive flooding and damage in Louisiana, and then went on the north up to the northeastern United States, resulting in the loss of at least 60 lives. And the western United States have been struggling with ongoing wildfires that keep burning over and over again. So what do we do in the face of all of these things that are taking place? We can become more vigilant and more watchful, but as the second half of verse 1 says... Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. No matter how hard it is to strive to find security apart from the Lord, we are in a very precarious situation. Unless our labor is for the Lord, our lives will be empty. But when we work with him, allowing him to do his building Through us, we can find significance. And when we entrust ourselves to his watchful care over our lives, we can find security. There's one more benefit. Seeing our work as a calling provides us with satisfaction. Take a look at verse 2. We see a picture here of unhealthy desperation. In vain you rise up early and stay up wait, late, waiting for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Solomon is describing someone who is all stressed out, not really sleeping well. Their minds go on and on as they lie on their beds, not able to get the sleep they need and experiencing turmoil and pain as a consequence of it. This anxious toil involves hurt along with emotional and physical pain and suffering. Solomon wrote something similar to that in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain, even at night their minds do not rest. This, too, is meaningless. So here's the principle. God gives rest to those who have learned to put their hope and trust in him, not to those who try to do everything on their own and in their own strength. Instead of trying to get our salvation from our jobs and our satisfaction from the work that we do by working harder and harder And putting in more and more hours, we have to realize that only God gives sleep to those he loves. Psalm 4, verse 8 puts it this way In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Unless our labor is for the Lord, our lives are going to be empty. But when we do labor for the Lord, we find our significance, our security, and our satisfaction in Him. Our New Testament passage, found in Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24, puts it this way. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward." It is the Lord Jesus you are serving. So, how do we apply these verses to our lives today? First of all, evaluate your emptiness. Do you find your life unsatisfying and empty? Does your money seem to burn a hole in your pocket? In the first chapter of Haggai, the people are putting their own lives and houses and jobs before the Lord. And in order to get their attention, God doesn't allow them to find significance and security and satisfaction apart from him. Listen to what he says in Haggai 1 verses 5 and 7. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give fearful thought to all your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse that has holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. The solution is to put God first and not ourselves. Secondly, worship while you work. Much of our time is spent in the places where we do our work. That is where we have our opportunity to use the God-given gifts that God has given to us and can interact with the people around us. If we do our work in a way that brings praise and honor and glory to God, and enriches the lives of the people around us, we are actually using our work as a way to worship God and give him the honor and the glory that he deserves. Thirdly, view your job as a calling, not as a career. Worship God and not your work. Don't make your job an idol, and don't look to find your identity in your work. Significance, security, and satisfaction can only come from the Lord. And by the way, if you're a stay-at-home mom, that is your job. If you're retired, you have the opportunity to work and worship and serve in new and different and fresh ways. If you want to find worth in your work, view your job as a calling, not just as a career. A career can become an altar on which we sacrifice our lives in the pursuit of money and possessions. But a calling recognizes the fact that we are co-workers with God. In accomplishing his purpose by being content, by working so that our needs can be met, and by giving so that other people can have their needs met as well through the gifts that we share with them. And fourth, live on mission at work. See yourselves as a missionary designed to do whatever it is God has called you to do in that place in your life. You are a missionary disguised as an employee. You are a missionary cleverly disguised as a truck driver. You are a missionary cleverly disguised as a housewife. You are a missionary cleverly disguised as a farmer. You are a missionary cleverly disguised as an engineer. You are a missionary cleverly disguised as a student. You are a missionary cleverly disguised as a person who faithfully fulfills their duties in whatever sphere of life God has called them to serve. So live on mission. Your career is a ladder to climb, but your mission is a journey you take. Your career makes you a professional. Your mission makes you a disciple. Your career takes you to the top. Your mission takes you to the cross. Your career is about the here and now. Your mission is about eternity. And if you are just here to eat and sleep and go to college and get a degree and get married and find a job and have children and and accumulate, resources so that you can buy a summer home or a winter home and eventually retire gracefully and grow old and die. Then what's the big deal? It's good to have a career, and we can be thankful for that, but it's far better to have a calling and to be on mission for God. Each year during the month of October, we celebrate Reformation Sunday. It all began on October 31, when Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. One of the major themes of the Protestant Reformation is the theme of justification by faith alone. The Bible emphasizes the fact that we don't have to work in order to gain Acceptance with God. Jesus did that work for us. He paid the price. He completed the job he was given to do. And just before he died, he cried out in a loud voice, It is finished. The work is done. This this term comes from the world of finance and, and banking. When someone would borrow some money and would pay it back, the banker would write this phrase that declared that the debt had been fully taken care of. Literally, it means the debt is paid in full. When Jesus shed his blood on the cross of Calvary, he paid the price for our sins. He took that moral Liabilities that all of us have and stamped, play, paid in full over the ledger sheet of our lives. Our sin debt has now been completely forgiven. Because of our moral failures and patterns of sin, we all deserve to be sentenced to death for the crimes that we have committed against a holy God. Someone needs to pay the price. And Jesus was willing to pay that price for us. We don't have to work to gain God's favor. In fact, if we try to work, we will only find ourselves very unhappy because we're going to get a paycheck that is going to cause pain and heartache. Romans 3 verse 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Every one of us has violated God's standards. And because he is a just God, a penalty for those sins has to be paid. That's why God sent his son Jesus into this world to pay that price for us. Jesus gave his life on the cross of Calvary as our substitute. He completed the work so that you and I don't have to labor in order to get to heaven. Salvation is a gift of God's grace. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 puts it so succinctly, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. This is a gift from God, not from works, lest anyone should boast. So work hard at your job. But don't let your job become your God. Enjoy the results of God's work on your behalf and put your faith and trust in the labor of love that was supremely expressed on the cross of Jesus Christ. Focus your attention on the perfect life and atoning death of Jesus who completed his work in order that you might experience significance and security and satisfaction and a benefit package that is simply out of this world. Here's the deal. Unless our labor is for the Lord, our lives will be empty. Significance, security, and satisfaction can only be found when we put our trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. And that's what we celebrate this morning as we gather around the table of our Lord. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the atoning power of our Savior's death and for his victory over sin. Thank you that we can share in that victory as we put our hope and trust in him. And as we gather now around the table of the Lord, we pray that you will minister to us with the assurance that we belong to you in body and soul for time and for eternity, and that you call us to be co-workers with you in building your kingdom to the glory and praise of our great God. In Jesus' name, amen.